This is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church and partner at the Dendros Group. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers and Counter Stories producer. And I'm Don Eubanks, member of the Malax Band of Ojibwe Indians and associate of Dendros Group. And Luz Maria Frias couldn't be with us today, but we have a very special guest as we continue our legislative wrap-up. Today, talking about the uh, paid family and medical leave uh, that was passed uh, by... uh, our, our, our chambers to uh, this year. And to help us kind of dive into that a little bit more, we have our, our, our Senator, Dr. Alice Mann, who's going to join us, who is one of the uh, co-authors or authors of the bill um, to, uh, uh, to, to address us today. So Senator Mann, if you could kind of just introduce yourself to the Counter Stories community and then we'll get started. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm very excited to be here. Um, I am Elise Mann. I am the state senator for Senate District 50, which is half of Edina, half of Bloomington. I am a practicing ER physician and mom of three boys. And I was the chief author of Paid Family Leave this year. So I think it's it's important for us to start, and I'm quite familiar with this, um, with, with some personal history too, but if you could just kind of give an overview of the bill that passed and what paid family and medical leave is, because I still find myself with some of my parishioners and others telling them that this is even a thing that they have access to. So if you could give us that overview, and then we, I'm sure there's a, there's a couple questions I have, but then we'll dive in all together. Yeah, absolutely. So... Uh, All of us at some point in our lives are going to get sick. We are going to perhaps uh, grow our family. We are going to have parents who become ill and need our attention. And what paid family leave is, is it basically joins the rest of the entire world with a policy that says if one of these things happens and you need to take time off of work to take care of yourself, take care of a new baby, take care of your family, um, you can without the fear of losing your job, without the fear of losing your paycheck, Uh, without the fear of not knowing how you're going to feed your family or pay your rent. And so um, it's uh, our bill will uh, allow for 12 weeks off if you have a new baby or 12 weeks off if you become ill yourself um, or if you have to take care of another family member like a parent or or an aging parent who needs help. Um, And if you uh, you have to have a qualifying event. So this is not, you know, if you have a cold, this is a serious medical issue that will take you out of work for seven days or more. And it'll provide you 12 weeks to um, to, to leave and take care of your family, take care of yourself um, at partial wage replacement. Um, and it's something that everybody will, can participate in, uh, no matter how much money you make, no matter what your salary is, and no matter where you work, everyone will have access to this program. Again, just like the entire rest of the world already has this program, uh, we now will have it also in Minnesota. You know, one of the things about this is eleven other states have 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 similar ones. Although although ours is ours has like you know more to it. It's it's kind of more holistic than others. But but there's a lot that goes along with this. Um, I, I found it fascinating that um, prior to the the benefits, which start in 2026, I believe. Yep. is when the benefits begin. But um, if, if you could, it, it, it boggles my mind that 75% of Minnesota's workforce doesn't have access to paid leave benefits today? 
Yeah, that's right. So uh, about 25% of the population, 24, uh, has access to paid leave right now. And generally, that is our highest paid workers with the mm. you know, most robust jobs with the higher benefits and the higher pay. And so the rest of us are left with nothing. We do have FMLA in place. Now, FMLA mm. is unpaid leave that you can take for up to 12 weeks. This is a federal law. Uh, that was supposed to be when this conversation started, when FMLA passed in the early 90s, I was supposed to be 18 weeks paid, and I got pared mm. down to 12 weeks unpaid. And um, only about 55% of the U.S. population has access to FMLA, however, because of all the stipulations that were put around it. And mm. to top it off, 70% of those people identify as white. So you can mm. imagine that the vast majority mm -hmm. of our BIPOC communities are left without That was FMLA. going to be my next question, yeah. <laughs> not only without FMLA, but also without paid leave. So we have nothing. Mm. Uh. I, I just, and, and again, it just, uh, just to get a through line for a lot of what we talk about, Don, you bring this up often that, you know, when, uh, I'll actually, uh, in, in Luz's absence, I'll say it because she usually brings it forward, that when the society catches a cold, people of color catch a flu. That there's that are overrepresentation in the folks who who are are the ones that are without access who are hugely overrepresented in communities of color. So I mean, this is that same pattern that we keep coming to in counter stories and trying to get made clear. I have I just have some clarifying questions because I know I, um, I know the terms we use are pretty common, but they can be confusing and sometimes misleading. So I'm not doubting that only 24% of people have access to paid leave. But when we say paid leave, what do we mean by that? So I've had I've had positions where I would get paid for sick days or, you know, things like that where. And so my question is, uh, is that paid leave? I mean, you know, so when we say only 24% have access to paid leave, are we including stuff like sick leave, um, vacation, those type of things? No, so we don't include those things because there's a big difference between sick leave. Um, so like, uh, again, I have a cold, I'm out of work for two days, right? A lot of people have access to that. A lot of people do not have access to that either, right? But uh, we don't include that because again, it's two days. What we are including are things like if you have a stroke, and you cannot work for three months. That's what we're talking about. If you have a new baby and you want to bond with that baby and you want to breastfeed that baby uh, and you and you stay home for several weeks, that's the, the kind of leave that we're talking about here that only 24% of people, very lucky people, have access mm. to. And thank you, you know, for clearing that up because I think that can be confusing for some folks and we mm -hmm. use those same terms to kind of mean different things. Yeah. Which is why I was asking, because if we, you know, when we say paid leave, a lot of people get sick leave and stuff like that. And so, mm -hmm. but thank you for clarifying that. And then, I think um, that's a, oh, go ahead. No, I, I oh, think that's ahead. a, I think that's a talking point though, for folks who have been against paid leave in the sense that we're talking about, right? Is that, oh, well, you already get sick days or use your sick days or, you know, like when my brother um, when he had his baby last year, it was he was saving up his vacation days and his sick days because he was not going to get time for his, to be with his babies, right? And then we had, you know, 
other men in the family usually who are saying stuff like, well, you're the dad. You don't need all that time, you know, with your baby. Like, you know, your wife is breastfeeding. What are you going to do while she's breastfeeding all day? You know, why do you have to be home? You should go back to work. Why did you save all your vacation days? Like he didn't go on vacation all year to save them because he knew that the baby was coming. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's also just this narrative out there that, you know, dads don't even need this. So why put this kind of stuff in place? Yeah. And I will tell you that I had a conversation with uh, someone who was opposing the bill who who told me that they were opposed to it because we offered leave for everyone, for men oh. and for women. And he said, I don't understand why a man has to bond with his baby when the wife is home. He can bond with his baby when he gets home at night from work, (laughs) right? (laughs) Which is like this very antiquated way of thinking that fathers don't have a role to play in the family and that having a newborn is a vacation as a walk in the park and one person can do it easily, right? Which is all completely false, of course, as we know. But that was a a big sticking point for some people that um, we gave it to both men and women. And we do that very purposefully because A, we want to keep families together. B, because raising a child is not easy for one person. And C, because This actually provides gender equity in the workplace, because imagine we only offer leave for women. Women would Mm -hmm. never get hired again, right? Because we do most Mm -hmm. of the child care. We do most of the family care, the parental care that fall historically largely on women. And so we want to make sure that we are fostering a program and a culture where caretaking falls to everyone's responsibility. Um, And so that's why one of the reasons we made sure that both men and women got equal time off to take care of themselves or a family member. Early, 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 early in the uh, back in the nineties, one of the one of the jobs I had was with a, a small little nonprofit called the Fathers Resource Center, and 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 one of the th- you know and we provided we provided um, parenting support and other types of uh, of services for fathers. Because often, uh, back then and even now, listening to your reasoning on why we needed to get this uh, gender equity is that often fathers Come on. were always missing from that equation. That part, so, that part. Exactly. I mean, so when we look at many of the programs and services that we provide and we say families, in fact, what we really meant, uh, mean is women and children. And fathers have been excluded from that often from many of the programs and services that are out there. And I'm not arguing that that you know because there was an uh, there was also a part of this this discussion that took it to the extreme um, and always kind of turned it back around when it came to like things like divorce. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about the fact that we play a vital role in our families and always have, and yet uh, we tend to sometimes be forgotten in that equation. So it was very, it, it's uh, your your explanation for why fathers were included with that brought back those warm feelings since Come the 90s, because <laughs> it's been a while since I worked in that field, but uh, it was really nice to hear, so thank you. And. And this this hits real close to home. And, and Don, you you 
I, I knew the father in you. I could see it coming up, um, even though we're on Zoom and the folks are listening to us on the radio. But uh, <laughs> I, my daughter was born at 24 weeks, at a pound and a half, about the size of my hand. And mm. we had to do some negotiating around this because um, there was she spent 101 days in the NICU. In fact, she got out on the 4th of July, which I think is is ironic considering we celebrate our independence on the 19th, but on June 19th. But but there's a um, there was this negotiation that we had to have because if if my wife would have used her time, then she um, she wouldn't have had it at home later when she actually came home from the NICU. And it was a bear trying to negotiate with my with my employer to try to um, be the one at the NICU, right? Have that skin to skin time, have that, that formative time that I know is you know as a as a physician yourself, you're you know you 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 could explain this better than I ever could in in that regard. But I think that's a very important piece in that you know the negotiation, the stress that it adds trying to negotiate all that care when you don't have this access to this leave adds to the stress. And that stress was one of the things that the nurses and the doctors uh, were really trying hard to mitigate. And so I got to imagine as a, as a medical professional yourself, who's, who's, who's worked in medicine and you have, you have a global space. I mean, not just your, your, your Brazil where you have ancestry from, but you've been in, in, in Zimbabwe, Nicaragua, you've been in all these different places. So you have a particular lens on the benefits of this leave for patients. Was that part of the discussion as you were uh, drafting this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the stress alone of having a new child or the stress alone of becoming seriously ill, um, just the stress of the event is stressful enough, right? If you add on top of that, uh, the stress of I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to be able to feed my other kids. I'm going to, you know, I, how can I pay rent? Um, imagine that's almost insurmountable for many people, right? And of course, these stressors are significantly more impactful and heavier for our lower wage earners who don't have access to any kind of leave. Um, and so all of that was, was very much thought of when we thought of what is something that we can do? What is a policy that we can pass to make life easier for people, to make life more livable, to make it more enjoyable even, and to recognize the humanity in all of us, not just the high wage workers, right? Not just our white counterparts, but all of us, because we all have the same thing in common. We are all humans. We all have babies. We all get sick. None of us are immune from these things. Um, and so, again, you know, having that lens of what can we do, what policy can we pass that is going to encompass everyone and make life less stressful, make life easier because we have so much stress as it is. Um, and paid leave is, is a no brainer um, because, again, the rest of the world does it. We are the only industrialized country in the world that does not have this in place. Mm -hmm. And now we're state number 12. And so we have this luxury of learning from other states what has worked and what hasn't. Um, so we crafted a bill with all of those things in mind to make it a super robust and all-inclusive bill. And in fact, this article just came out, I believe it was from Massachusetts, that they're having to make all these changes as they go along since they passed their bill before us. Um, and all the changes that they're having to make, we already made in our bill. All right. So, mm. again, just having this this 
as large a lens as possible uh, to include as many people as possible was was incredibly important for us. To clarify, this affects part-time workers mm. as well? Everybody. So you have, you have to make 5.3% of the average annual income in the last year, which is equals about $3,000. So if you've made $3,000 in the last year, you qualify. And this, okay. this benefit mm. is portable, meaning that if you get a new job, that benefit will go with you to your new job. Unlike FMLA, mm. you've had to work someplace for a year in order to qualify. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? And so for our lower wage workers, for people who have multiple part-time jobs, they don't qualify because they never were in the same place for long enough. Right. But now right. you qualify because you work, because you went out, you got a job. We don't care how long you've been there. We know that you're working. We know that you're working hard. And because of that, if you get sick, if you have a baby, which we all will, we are going to make sure that as a state, we rally around you to help you stay on your feet so that we keep families financially stable through a very vulnerable period in their life. Can I weigh in this real quick, just because what you just said immediately has the business sense tick, you know, tick or tick off on the, in the top of my brain. As a business owner myself, you know, this is something that we had talked about. And oftentimes, folks, you'll, you'll hear, again, a talking point that's not not that that doesn't seem to really actually represent business owners for, for real, but but we had this conversation and we we were able to sit to get, sit together and plan accordingly for um our for our new hires even before the bill passed. We were we were saying that this is something that we we want to be able to offer because it is um it is it is I don't know it's kind of beneficial for get folks to 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 work with us um and the bill kind of stole our thunder a little bit cuz now everybody gets access to it and so it's not special anymore we were going to go <laughs> above and beyond but I just wanted to pull through and slice through this this notion that that somehow this depresses businesses that's not what the data actually suggests in the states that passed that have passed similar things we haven't seen a depression in business in business sense actually we've seen a greater um a greater amount of of a more competitive market for uh, for workers, where folks are able to take jobs and stick with jobs that um, they would have otherwise left, right? So, so because somebody can dangle a carrot of a little bit of extra time or something like that around, um, so that just as one piece of it. But then there's also health benefits all the way around um, when you know you have access to this, right? We we haven't we we haven't seen it yet. Uh, the data come out, but I know for us. The fact that folks had access to this time um, and and had that on 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 the on the go allowed them to actually use their actual PTO or other other mechanisms when they needed it because they didn't have to worry about saving it to Lee's point earlier. And what we found is our office is less sick. Uh, folks take the time that they need to actually take. They take they have the space to take care of health because they don't have to ration their access to be able to take that time together. We have had so much less sickness, even amidst COVID, mm-hmm. as a result mm-hmm. of being able to have access to that time. And that's just a benefit that we've seen on our own, let alone what some of the data is suggesting. So what are some of the other benefits that that you have y'all have seen as a result of passing legislation like this? Yeah, I would just say you said it was kind of beneficial. It's not kind of beneficial. It is very beneficial. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, and we know that because we've looked at the data from those 11 other states, right? So we are seeing first 
We're putting small businesses on the same playing field as those large businesses that who part. already offer this because they know the benefits. Mm-hmm. So now we're mm-hmm. going to put those two businesses on the same playing field because small business businesses did have difficulty hiring people because this is an expensive um, benefit when you offer it by yourself. And so small places could not offer this. And so why would you work for them if you could work for somebody else and get paid leave, right? So now everyone's on the same playing field, which is fantastic for small businesses. Um, This policy has, like you said, it increases employee morale, which is incredible because people then stay at their jobs. And so this uh, policy Mm -hmm. has shown to increase employee retention, which of course is awesome for all businesses because mm-hmm. productivity goes up. Uh, you don't lose money when you're trying to fill that position and train mm-hmm. new people. Um, they did a survey in California um, several years after they implemented leave, uh, paid leave, and they found that when it came to productivity, 91.5% of businesses said it had no impact on the productivity mm-hmm. or a positive mm-hmm. impact on their productivity. And when it came to profitability, 87.5% said no impact on profitability or a positive impact on profitability. So this policy is not only good to keep families economically safe, uh, financially safe, it is economically beneficial for business. And I, I just I thank you so much for underscoring that because you're we we get inundated with with talking points and 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 machinations that have yeah. little to do with the actual lived experience of folks on the ground and some of our communities get caught up in these talking mm-hmm. points and and will and will pass them along because it seems in a vacuum that they make a whole lot of sense except now sure. you're not accessing something that you have needed in the past and you're going to need again. Exactly. And a lot of people came to me and they said, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do if my employee breaks their arm and they just take leave? And I said, what do you do now when your employee breaks their arm and takes leave? Right. That part. Right now, <laughs> you're paying, if, if you want to, you can pay their salary while they're gone, but you're paying that. With our program, you don't have to pay that anymore. So it's benefit for the business. Um, And so, yeah, you know, the idea that it'll hurt businesses, it's unfounded. And we know that, again, because the rest of the world functions just perfectly (laughs) fine. And the 11 other states that have already done this, that have seen a significant benefit to business. Um, And so they're just, their fears, I understand where they come from, but they are unfounded. It it does confuse me a lot because... I mean, there's a lot of things that a lot of other developed countries have and do that we don't, like universal health care, right? Yeah. And then when you start thinking about how we can try to implement something like that in in the U.S., it seems so daunting, right? So this even trying to tackle something like this on a state level, it seems so daunting to try to have to implement something like this. What was that process like? Well, I will say that in Minnesota, we've been working on this policy for 10 years, right? So it's not Mm. something that we came up with yesterday and then passed the day after. It's been a 10-year process. Um, So it is daunting. It's extremely daunting uh, because not only do we have to build a new infrastructure to, to give out these benefits and for people to have access to these benefits, we have to change public perception right, of, of the benefit of having something like this in place. Mm-hmm. And in America, we're very, 
we're very individual centric, right? Mm -hmm. We have this idea mm -hmm. that if you can't do it on your own, then don't do it. Then you can't do it. That's your problem. That's your fault. Um, we, and that's just not the case again, because this is something all of us will go through and it's not right to say, if you don't make $150,000 a year, you don't deserve to take care of your baby. You don't deserve to stay home. If you're sick, you don't deserve to take care of your dying parent. That's not okay. You know? Um, and so having something in place that again, recognizes the humanity in every single person that lives in the mm -hmm. state of Minnesota. Is, is, is a big deal. And it was daunting. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, there was enough conversation, there was enough um, community building for us to recognize the importance and the benefit of such a policy. So Senator Mann, um, the mechanism that the state set up to help pay for this leave alleviates a lot of that uh, stress on employers to pay yes. for this leave. Exactly. It seems like the mechanisms tied back to, to taxes in one way or another, either from the employer or employees. Um, so the state is, you know, the state collects those taxes and I'm assuming state taxes and then is using part of those proceeds to fund this, this pay leave is that correct or not, not no? really? So it's not tied to your state taxes or any other tax that you paid. So it's a zero point seven percent insurance premium because this is an insurance program that is split between the employee and the employer, and it's uh, going to be through a system that we're hoping will be closely tied to the unemployment insurance system that all employers currently have to fill out, so that the programs will look very similar so that you don't have to relearn an entire new program, right? Something people are already doing, already have to do. And so the employer will put in that information and the insurance premium will be deducted that way. How were tribes involved in this discussion? So we had conversations with everybody, small businesses, medium, large, um, faith-based communities, churches, um, tribes, um, I mean, you you name it, we we talk to them. We talk to people in northern Minnesota and rural Minnesota in the cities uh, to talk about what is the best program that we can put in place. Um, and so things like the family definition, for example, came from this idea that our, our family definition is very expansive. Um, we have defined family as essentially anyone who you define as your family. That's your choice, right? I'm not, I'm not going to be here to define what family is for you. And that came in part with conversations from the tribes. And in one particular committee hearing, someone came to the table and said, you know, my name is so-and-so. I am a mommy, an auntie, a daughter, um, right? Just to show you the importance of those relationships, and so we made sure that our family definition, so when your family member becomes ill and they need someone to take care of them, that is the person that they choose. And we did that very specifically because of the conversations we had with immigrant communities um, as well, because we all define family in a different way. Um, and so that's an example of how that bill was modeled and changed because of those conversations. 
and and again, that I, I love that it brings up the the nuance and complexity that happens with you mm-hmm. know when we think about our various communities of color in particular, because we tend to use a normative lens about something that typically norms white experiences, especially in the state of Minnesota. And so we got to figure out all these different questions. There's, um, I'm also thinking about the kind of curb cutting piece of this, right? So the curb right. cut on the on the sidewalk was done for accessibility purposes. But it benefited everybody. I mean, if you've ever moved, if you've ever been pushing a stroller or anything like that, you are benefiting from all the work that people who uh, who are uh, look worried about accessibility in our public spaces are responsible for those curb cuts, and mm-hmm. we all benefit from it. I see some curb cutting pieces to this. When you had talked about getting to choose family, mm-hmm. our different family definitions often run us into issues with work policies that are based around kind of a nuclear family model that is kind of out. Well, it's always been outdated because aunties and uncles and cousins, even amongst white communities mm-hmm. have always been involved. But, 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 but we tend to take this one little swath of white experience and write all of our norms off of that, which doesn't even work for folks in that own, in their very community. I mean, say that to family members of mine that I connect with in Appalachia, right? Uh, poor white folks who we interact with in the South had the same issues, right? Aunties, uncles, everybody was involved. So, so this has a, a benefit to that. I also think about the curb cut that comes with our early developmental pieces. When you look at early childhood, when you look at um, you know the issues around daycare, with getting having a multiple groups of folks be able to participate in the rearing of communities and child like that is just what we do. When when you had mentioned the the gender parity piece, let me have come to my family at all, let alone my wife, and been like, oh, you the only one that gets to get off. So the, the kid here's the baby. I'm gonna go do something else. Like that don't fly in our cultural community space, regardless of the stereotypes about Black men and involvement. You know, our data says we're actually one of the most highly involved. And this helps to to mitigate that cultural uh, norm for us and definitely for other communities. What are are some of the other curb cut, like, benefits that you see happening as a result of just this piece? Those, like, I don't know, fringe benefits, (laughs) to borrow that language, that also, that you also see connections to? Yeah, I mean, this policy affects uh, everything from childcare to long-term care to healthcare. So we're seeing, you know, in other mm. states that have this, we see decreased hospitalization rates for infants and children. Mm. We see decreased clinic visits, decreased ear infections, pneumonia, GI symptoms. Mm. Um, we see um, decreased gender disparities in the workplace. We see decreased racial disparities in the workplace. Um, we see better maternal health outcomes. And as we know, we're in the middle of a maternal health crisis in America. It is safer to deliver your baby almost anywhere else in the world except here. Mm. Um, so it, 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 there's so many, right? Um, yeah, the, the, the benefits to business, like we talked about, um, it's, there's, it's, it's a really long list because it affects everything. We're in the middle of a childcare crisis because infant childcare is so expensive. Imagine mm. if we're all going to keep our infants home for at least three months if not six months, if both parents mm. can take mm-hmm. time off. That's going to make a huge impact on our child care crisis, our long-term care crisis, where we just don't have enough space to put our elderly, which is horrific to even say out loud, right? Imagine if we are now allowed time to take care of our parents and our aging grandparents in our own mm. homes without losing our jobs. So, you know, in California, we saw an 11% decrease in nursing home utilization after this program passed. So we're going to see 
impacts across all sectors of the of the of society. So one concern and I have, and, I, and I'll tell a little story. My my husband has a good union job. Um, so when he was run over by a pickup truck several years back, um, he was able to to uh, get some of these benefits of, of um, you know, FMLA and, um, you know, paid leave, et cetera, et cetera. However, you know, he just got hit by a pickup truck and the amount of paperwork and just the hoops to jump through to make sure that he was able to get all those benefits was something I had to do. At the time, we were not married. Um, and that, you know, I was lucky to be somebody who was savvy enough to be able to navigate through the system, um, to be able to make sure that he got all the benefits that he was entitled to. Um, I think that is a big barrier as we start talking about these sorts of things, because as great as it is to have this in place, I think the, there are still those barriers for folks who need to access it. And one thing I'm thinking of, and maybe this is addressed in the, in the bill, um, is just like a continued access to affordable health care, right? So can we, can somebody who has some um, health situation be able to take advantage of paid leave if they can't afford to get a note from a doctor or, um, you know, if they're seeing a, a free or a sliding fee um, physician, you know, uh, and they're on a wait list for three weeks. You know, I know how that goes. Like, um, what, how does that play into this? Or is that kind of like the next step to address would be, you know, the access to the affordable health care? Yeah. So access is a definitely, well, access to health care is a completely different topic of conversation. <laughs> uh, don't even get me started on that one. Um, but access to the program <laughs> Um, we are trying to make it as seamless as possible. So I've already had conversations with the Department of Economic Development, which is going to be under their umbrella. And we've talked about goal setting, right? So we want to make sure that when you call someone and say, I have questions about this program, or I think I, I, I want to qualify for this program, someone's going to be on the phone with you in, in less than five minutes when you call. Um, when you email, you'll receive a letter in response back within 24 hours. Um, and when you do a qualify and apply, you'll get a paycheck in the mail within two weeks, right? These are all goals that we're trying to set for ourselves to make sure that when you qualify and you get there, that you're not waiting for a paycheck for a month because that's not going to help you, right? That's the exact mm -hmm. opposite. We're going to have the program available in multiple languages. Um, we're going to, again, phone, email, different sources that you can get there. And the other thing that we did was to make sure that we set aside money every single year for outreach so that people mm -hmm. know that the program mm -hmm. exists and how to access the program. Yeah. We saw in other states, they did not do this and people didn't use it because they didn't know it was mm -hmm. existed. Right. Again, especially right. our communities of color, our low wage mm -hmm. workers who are not going to have someone say, hey, guys, as part of your benefit package, you also have this. And so we're right. setting millions of dollars every year aside so that the state can go out and to make sure that there's people with boots on the ground that can spread this information. Now, if you can't afford to see a doctor you and you don't need to see a doctor, then you probably won't qualify for this leave because it is, again, a seven-day qualifying event. This is a big illness. At some point in time, you will have to see a doctor, whether it's in the emergency room or in the hospital or in the clinic for a follow-up. 
Uh, and again, if you're not sick enough to see a doctor, you're probably not sick enough to qualify for seven days off of work. And so a doctor's note is integral to this program. Well, I, 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 there, there's, there's so many pieces um, that I have questions for. So I'm, I'm, my brain is trying to pick and choose through uh, some of the ones coming up. But one that's big for me is um, the, the, the kind of pushback piece. One of the things that happens, at least, and I can only speak for for my experiences within my community, is that something beneficial comes along and actually makes it through. And then I have concern. It's a practice in the African-American community. Watch night service on January uh, or on December 31st to see when the new legislations come in. Because there have been so many times where, where something beneficial has been passed on your behalf, only to be walked back because of a push, uh, a, a backlash uh, from from those who've kind of organized against it. This has very clear benefits and has been lauded in many uh, communities of color across the state. Um, this has been been talked about and been, and been a big thing. And then now there's in the back of my mind, there's this thing about, well, how easy would it be for somebody to come and try to unravel this once I get this benefit that levels the playing field for me? And so I'm curious what some of that concern has reached uh, your your discussion tables. Yeah, we are definitely concerned about that because the pushback against the program that benefits every single person is significant, right? Some people don't think that people with low wages should have these benefits. Some people don't think that people of color should have these benefits. Um, and so, and many people don't think that women should have these benefits. Mm. And so there is, there's significant pushback already. Um, and I can tell you that we've heard rumblings that this next session, they're going to try to do everything they can to undermine our work and to take the bill down in bits and pieces. Um, and so we need to stay vigilant, right? Our mm -hmm. coalition needs to stay on top of things, needs to stay strong. We need to, we need to essentially continue like the bill didn't pass until mm -hmm. the inaction date on January 2026. Um, because once people get this benefit, imagine being a first time parent and being able to stay home with your baby and not worry about losing your job. How are we ever going to roll that back? Who mm -hmm. is going to have the courage to say, right. you had it. I know you benefit from it. I'm going to take it away from you. Right. But until people have their hands on it and say, wow, this is real. This is helping me so much. They're going to try to do everything they can to dismantle it before January 1st, 2026. Until it affects them personally. You know, it's one of those situations where it's like no one in my family has ever been hit by a truck. And then suddenly someone gets hit by a truck. And then well, you the need thing that. After COVID, everyone's been sick, right? Everyone mm -hmm. knows what it's like to be sick for an extended period of time. And still there are people out there who think that this is good enough for me, but it's not good enough for you. And so mm. you know that, that unfortunate mentality still exists out there. Uh, I work really hard to get to where I am today, so I deserve this. You don't, right? So my humanity is more important than yours. Um, yeah, I don't know how to change that, right? That's something we could work on changing. <laughs> you know, many of our communities of color and American Indian communities um, and other um, um, communities are more communal where it's more of a us, an us thing than it is um, an I thing. And with the dominant culture, it's very individualistic. Right. It's 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 I 
you know, I did this, I did that. And so that's where we get, you know, it, so to me, it, it, you know, it makes sense. We get that pushback. I, I received an email via through a friend that originated from the Minnesota Department of Education. And they were pressing for new, um, new history standards um, to include more, more history on, on ethnic communities and American Indian community. Well, this email got sent out today um, or yesterday pleading for individuals to send in comments in favor of the changes because most of the comments they have received have been push pushed back from the community to prevent these standards from going into place because it will create too much divisiveness. It will, you know, and you can just, a litany of checklists. So, mm-hmm. um, it, I still have to admit that being born and raised in this state uh, my entire life, I don't think I've ever, or maybe, you know, it could be as simple that I may not have been aware earlier, but I don't remember this much divisiveness in our community before over some of these issues. You know, just changing, changing history standards so that we, we teach more of an inclusive history, uh, having a, you know, having this paid leave for individuals, something that all other um, industrialized countries in the world do, except here. I mean, so it, it sometimes it just be, uh, um, just boggles my mind. But when you were talking about those health disparities, you know, one of the one of the larger health disparities for African American and, and Indigenous and other folks of color in Minnesota is around uh, maternal well-being for children, where in our communities we have very high rates of of uh, early death of of children within that first year. Now, I know that gets more at um, access to health care, but even without that access to health care, it'll be interesting to see, because you mentioned that, that, you know, that they are seeing changes in some of these disparities because of this law. And it will be interesting to see if that does have an impact on those, on that, uh, that tends to be the number one health disparity in Minnesota for communities of color. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, hopefully we will see that we're, again, we're seeing that in other states with no reason why we shouldn't see it here. Um, But I think it also, you know, in Minnesota, we have disparities in everything. You know, we have some of the highest disparities in educational outcomes, for example, I think the highest actually in the entire nation. Um, And so we have a lot of work to do in Minnesota across all sectors to decrease disparities and poor outcomes for our communities of color. Um, I mean, some of the statistics coming out of Minnesota are downright embarrassing and shameful, really. Um, So we have a lot of work to do in that regard. And I think that giving everyone access, that access to take care of themselves and their families um, is certainly one of the many, many steps that we need to take. 
you know, one of the things that comes up as we as we talk about this are these predictable patterns. So even in what you all brought up, we see a predictable pattern already in this in blaming of the people who are receiving the, the, the disparity. We see a predictable pattern of of the perceived discomfort of a few interrupting the equality of the whole. Like we 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 keep seeing that that pattern happen over and over again. I'll tell you right away, and especially in terms of 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 infant morbid morbidity and and uh, maternal morbidity uh, in in these things. I can't stress enough how much stress has to do with that. I know for a fact, people who we've had to beg to go seek medical treatment because of their concern about their job, about what they have access to and whatnot, the fact that they have to save up, the fact all those things play into it. And so uh, in in a, one of the 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 things in addition to, you know, this 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 issue of people believing people of color when they say they're in pain or they have these other issues and things like that. I know as a medical physician you are having to deal with and work through that. Y'all having some introspective uh, conversations in the medical field right now about that very issue. But there's also, I mean, how many times have we had stories of somebody being uh, uh, at the counter <laughs> cooking or doing something like that and denying that there's pain, denying that they're in labor, denying that something is wrong because if they addressed what's wrong, they also then have to address the mountains of bills, of, of, of financial hardships that go along with being sick. I know for a fact, I, I've been a kid sitting around the table when the family's trying to convince somebody else to go seek some medical treatment and they're like, I can't, I need to be on the job. I have to do this. I have to do all these things. And they have delayed treatment too long. I have lost people who have delayed going, going to seeing, mm -hmm. being seen too long because they were concerned about what they, the, the time off of the job and all these other considerations. And so, I mean, this, this is something that gets lost quickly when this predictable patterns of pushback and predictable patterns of response to people of color having any equity <laughs> whatsoever come along. I mean, we, 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 one of the main reasons we don't have a universal healthcare system, which has been put forward over and over again throughout our history by legislators on multiple sides of the aisle, but there, there always is this predictable pattern of resistance to those people getting access to something that I have. And that's something mm -hmm. that I see playing out here as well. Yeah, we see that all the time. Um, you know, I, again, I heard how many times during the last session carrying this bill that I hear, but if they don't work hard enough to be in a job that has this, then it's their fault, right? Um, again, this, this idea that poverty is, is a character flaw, right? Instead of a systemic issue in our society uh, with with uh, visible barriers that are there to keep some people in poverty and not others. Um, I think that what you touched upon too, uh, again, another topic of conversation, but the trust in the medical community from BIPOC members of our community is, is a huge deal that we don't talk about enough. Um, you know, um, people, I've seen so many people in the ER come in um, late into an issue that they're having. And they'll tell me, well, I I didn't want to be here because I don't know you. Um, but also I didn't want to come because I didn't want to take a day off of work and put stress on my family, right? So many reasons for that. Um, but this idea that um, 
our BIPOC communities don't trust medical community, they have every right not to, right? We have been experimenting on BIPOC people for how many years? Um, we have watched BIPOC people die through these experiments for how many years? Um, you know, late as, as early as the 70s, we had the Tuskegee experiment where we watched black men die um, just, just to see what would happen. Um, and so there, that's, again, another topic of conversation, but something that we have been having conversations about that we need to reexamine. And I think uh, that will be really an important step that medicine will have to take in the next few years to understand and to be part of the solution in these health inequities. Again, I see another another it's another curb cut in there and that now we actually have uh, I, I see this ha adding benefit because now I have access to go see the doctor, go go build relationship, go 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 connect in that way. Uh, I, um, I love that I, we know, think the curb cutting is like such a great thing because it benefits all of us. But for some people, that's <laughs> terrible. Oh, it benefits everybody. That's bad. Like there are people who see that and think that's bad to do something that benefits all well, versus. But that's part of that's part of the psychology that's woven into that. Right. I'm convincing you that the pie has limits, that it's a zero sum game. Exactly. And that any slice of pie for somebody else means less for me. And that mm -hmm. just isn't the case on so many levels, but that case has worked well um, politically from people from across the way. People of color have had this critique of all of our political parties as much as long as we've had say in, <laughs> in any kind of way in that. So I, I think, I think again, calling out that predictable pattern and how that doesn't make sense. Representative, or excuse me, Senator Mann, you have said this ad nauseum from the beginning we got here. This benefits everybody. Everybody has access to this. And I hope that it follows a pattern that I that is empirical enough to be able to stand on. And that is it's a lot harder to take something, a benefit away from the public than it is to give it to them in much of our political sphere. And so I hope that 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 becomes the case with this. Uh, are there any things for this bill as we get as we come close to time? Are there anything about this bill that you really want folks to, to like take with them and shout to the masses, especially in communities of color? Um, I think just what we've already talked about, right? The innumerable benefits of this. Um, um, we're not taking away anything from anybody. Um, everyone is going to benefit. Everyone can participate. If you work in Minnesota, you participate. Um, and again, just this ability that you can now stay home with your new baby. You can stay home if you get seriously ill. You can take care of a dying parent um, or a spouse that is sick. Um, just this idea that we're, you know, we complain all the time. Well, the families are getting torn apart. We don't have families in this country anymore. And we blame that on everything. Uh, this bill keeps families together. Um, and so aside from the benefits that we have talked about, you know, decreased hospitalizations and clinic visits, better maternal outcomes, decreased gender disparities, racial disparities, better for business, there, there's no downside to this. Um, so I, I hope that people understand the, the benefits we're seeing across the other states that have done it, the benefits that the rest of the world enjoys because of this. Um, and if anyone asks them, I, I hope people will say, no, it's a great idea. Well, Coretta Scott King said it greatly. She said the greatness of a community is most accurately measured by the compassionate action of its members. 
And I think for once in this conversation, we have a law that is rooted in that very thing. This has been Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church and partner at the Dendros Group. I'm Halili, owner of The Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers and Counter Stories producer. And I'm John Eubanks, member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians and associate at Dendros Group. And our guest today? I'm Senator Elise Mann. Very, very happy to be here. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.